and welcome. You're listening to Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast, where we talk to people behind the tech, explore their journeys, and make sense of what and how we build through a human lens. In this episode, we explore ways to become a more effective engineering manager, tips on giving feedback, and how you too can grow your career with actionable steps. I'm very excited about for our guest today because she's always posting great actionable advice on Twitter and is a force of nature, becoming an engineering leader and manager in just two years after graduating from Carnegie Mellon University with a bachelor's in computer science. She's worked at Amazon, has founded her own direct-to-consumer business, The Buttermilk Company, managed an engineering team at Rowe, and is currently working as a senior engineering manager at Glossier in New York. She's also consulted for 10 plus e-commerce businesses, is an angel investor, and was nominated for GeekWire's Young Entrepreneur of the Year. She's a diehard Beyonce fan, a pop culture guru, and Ramen Noodles is her Twitter handle. Mithra Ramen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. So I start my I start every episode with this question, and it's, it's around your journey into software. So you're an engineering manager now. But I'm curious sort of where your story started as it relates to software development. I think it actually started when I was in the womb. Both my parents are software engineers. Uh, They actually met working as software engineers at the same company. Um, My family, my uncles are all software engineers. Um, It's that typical uh, kind of stereotype of Indians. You become engineers or doctors and they love being engineers. Um, so they've continued in their own careers, respectively. My dad's, you know, climbed the ladder and um, become a leader in tech and my uncles as well. My mom also, you know, has been a great engineer. And um, it was very much kind of driven from the beginning that the best way to, you know, put your skills to use, but also, you know, create a great life for yourself is software engineering. So that's really where it started. That's amazing. In the womb. I like that. It was, you were learning, learning the, the lines of programming while you were, while you were developing. Oh yeah. So yeah, you're, you're an engineering manager now, and obviously you weren't always one. Why did you choose to go the engineering management path versus continuing down the individual contributor path? Yeah, I think early on, I made that really naive statement of, I love working with people, so I should be a manager. And I think you hear a lot of engineers say that. Um, honestly, I feel like that's not a a good enough reason to be a manager now, thinking back, because you're not necessarily just working with people and you're not really working with people more than you would as a senior engineer. You're managing people, and that's very different. Um So when I first decided to, you know, that was one of my reasons, but I also um, never went into computer science or software engineering because it was my personal, you know, interest, I guess, or it wasn't something I, I wasn't building computers and games when I was 12 years old, like you hear from a lot of people. I was using software as a means to an end with my own websites or Neopets or MySpace. You know, a lot of people got into it that way. But, you know, I was always like, okay, what can I use that's out there to get what I need? Not what is it about the software itself? That wasn't so interesting to me. So I feel like when I realized that, that I have the technical skills and I have the knowledge, but it's not what I'm obsessed with, that was a good enough indicator to me that, you know, let's look at what else is kind of tangential to be being a software engineer, because I knew I was never going to be the best one. And I feel like you should always try and figure out where you can be your best um, and where it comes naturally to you. So I looked at product management, I looked at TPMing, um, and then I looked at management. And I will say becoming a manager was a more natural or easier jump from being a software engineer, which I don't know if that's right, but that is how it is in the industry. Um, But once I became one, I think I really saw how, yes, I can use my technical skills or even just like you learn how to think about problems a certain way by being an engineer and that's really useful. 
but then the writing, the communication, the kind of managing a lot of moving pieces are things that like skills that I really have and love to employ. So I think that's where it all kind of came together. Amazing. And so you, you tweeted sometime back, uh, some of the steps that you actually took to become an engineering manager. I just kind of want to go through those because, you know, as I mentioned in your introduction, you're, you're very thoughtful with your, with your tweets and I always find them find them very helpful and, and reflective for me and my own experience as a software engineering manager to try to try to help me. So I'd love to kind of dig into these a little bit. Yeah. The first one that you write is, is you say advocate for yourself. Um, what does that, what does that mean in your, in your words? Yeah. Advocating for yourself, I think means different things depending on your organization or your management, but really your manager is kind of looking out for you, but they're mostly looking out for, I mean, in most cases, hopefully if you have a good manager, this isn't how they act, but they're looking out for what can you contribute to the team right now and how can you get us to our goals right now? They're maybe a little less focused on you want to completely change career paths. Let me help you get there. So I really think it's your job to say, this is what I want to do. Be really clear about it. A lot of people are big on manifestation right now. That's like one way of doing it, right? Even just saying it out loud to the people who maybe have the levers to help you get there. And then acting on it whenever you see the opportunity. So you have to be really proactive and really vigilant, I would say, for like the opportunities that might arise. In my case, it was telling my manager, but also telling my director at the time, which I think two weeks into being a new grad is a little bold to say I want to be a manager, but thankfully they're very kind people. I'm still in contact with them and they're just very, very supportive people. Um, And then from there, it was reiterating and them also kind of asking me, why do you say that, right? Like, why do you want to be a manager? Let me kind of educate you a bit more on what it entails. And they started giving me some opportunities, very small to start with being scrum master. That's not really a big thing. You usually have one engineer managing that on a team, but at that point we didn't. So they said, okay, you're interested in managing people or becoming a manager, start leading the team through scrum, start helping people figure out what tickets we need to work on and pointing them and setting up our ceremonies and you know, bringing some structure there. Again, it was my first job, my first time even working on a Scrum or Agile team. So huge learning experience. I was definitely thrown to the wolves, not given any sort of (laughs) guidance there. But it was a very useful experience, right? Because anytime you become a first-time manager, unfortunately, you don't have interning experiences or these kind of training experiences. You just have to jump in and learn it. So I think it's always a good way to say like, let me just take this on and I'll have to figure it out. It's not necessarily part of your job, so they can't dox you on it, you know, Um, when it comes to performance reviews. So you have to just figure out and say like, I can do this or I can pick this up or, you know, let me help you write your weekly reports or whatever it is um, that you feel like will one, get you the experience, but also get you more in front of the people who make those kind of decisions. Mm. So that, that sounds like a little bit of number six that you listed, which is sort of be the team's voice where you're sort of helping with project management. Is that, is that accurate? Um, I think that's like one way of doing it. Um, that was just my, you know, intro into maybe some management related tasks, but yeah, I think being the team voice goes beyond that because there you're managing within the team and you're still kind of like part of the team. I would say be the team voice is more, are you the, um, in between, between the team of engineers and maybe stakeholders or product, um, where if there are, you know, miscommunications or there's some complexities or the team doesn't like how, you know, how they work currently with product or vice versa, can you figure out how to communicate that properly between these two parties and figure out that common ground? And that's more often than not a big part of the EM role and people kind of gloss over it like oh it's communication no but you're also managing people's expectations and people's own timelines and there's a lot of that you know inner company management I guess uh that I think you can get a really good practice on and I found even even if you don't end up going into management or want to go into management that skill is so valuable for even like senior engineers 
right? To be able to know how to talk to non-technical folks or stakeholders or customers and create a really good balance between advocating for the customer and advocating for your team. Yeah. I think the idea of just just being able to communicate your thoughts, whether or not it's about software or it's about the product you're building, regardless mm-hmm. of your of your level, regardless of your role, I think is extremely important for the success of your product. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. So just a couple other here, uh, others here that I would just want to kind of read off and maybe if there's anything you want to touch on, I just, I just think it's really, it's really interesting because you've, you've just broken things down. And when I look at them, it's, and reflect on my experience on how I got to engineering manager, it's, it seems mm-hmm. very similar, but mm-hmm. you've really just codified like how to do it. Right. And, and, and making it so that if I were to go back in time, I could take these and it would, it would actually help me get there. Um, so the second one is influence other teams projects mm-hmm. the third is mentor and hire the fourth is set personal okrs the fifth is lead stakeholder relations mm-hmm. sixth is we already talked about be the team's voice and the last one is give feedback which we're going to dig into that one a little bit later because that one is also mm-hmm. also awesome um are there any of these that you kind of want to touch on a little bit that, that you think were important for your your journey i think um i'm gonna pull this up again because I don't remember every little thing I, I write um, in the moment. Mm, yeah, mentor and hire. Um, I found even as I've gone further in my career as an EM, senior EM, director, whatever, mentoring and hiring is that constant that be, that stays as important, if not becomes more important. Um, and I think a lot of engineers kind of look at it as a checkbox, like, oh, my manager wants me to be in some interview loops, like I have to do a few, whatever. But it's really your um, opportunity to form your organization, right? And create the team that you want. And also requires a lot of really interesting skills. Like you're not sitting there coding, you're evaluating someone on a basis of a few hours of like how good they'll be, one as an engineer, but also as part of your team. And that's really, really hard to do. And it's really hard to take out your own bias there. So I feel like if there's a chance to hire or be part of um, interview loops or um, maybe even restructure the hiring process, you know, if you look at it and say, this is not something I want to go through, or I don't think these interviews do some like are helping us evaluate correctly. If there's any opportunity there for you to step in and be a louder voice, I think that's a huge, huge um, positive opportunity that not many engineers take advantage of. Um, And again, as an engineering manager, probably your main goal is hire and retain talent. So it's only going to be more important to figure that out. And, um, Part of that then again is mentorship where you've done the hiring, people are onboarded, you want to grow your organization or you want yourself to have some growth and you can't just look at your manager for that growth. You need some sort of mentorship. Um, I'm not particular if it's like internal or external to the company, but I think mentorship in general, being a mentor and then being mentored are both really, really important roles for someone to have before they become a manager because you get that one-on-one kind of experience of, you know, how do you impact someone's career growth or how would I want to be kind of managed in that way or supported in that way. And it gives you just another data point beyond your manager to say like, what are kind of some things that I like or don't like. The one benefit, I've had a lot of like manager changes as an engineer and as an EM. The one benefit of that is you get a lot of different types of managers and you can kind of see like, what do I like and not like, and then employ that yourself. So I think being a mentor is that first opportunity to kind of test that out, I guess, um, test your own philosophies out. When you've, when you've sort of established those mentor relationships, is it, is it sort of you know, because I've, I've kind of noticed that there's a couple of different kinds of ways to set up mentorships. You can either like it's, you set it up, you say, hey, like I would like to be your mentor or I would like to be, men, you know, mentored by you and sort of be, it becomes more of a formal relationship or there's sort of this sort of thing that sort of happens naturally, which is just a little bit more yeah. informal or just kind of happens. Have you 
yeah found both to be true or how, how have you sort of established your mental relationships yeah i've definitely had both and i've also seen both happen with you know my direct reports i think they're both great my only I I guess some people will say, you know, I'm kind of being mentored already, or I'm kind of mentoring these folks already because it naturally happens. My only concern with that is it doesn't have as much of an agenda or a Hmm. kind of goal for that mentorship. And often you find that becomes more of a friendship and someone you can pair program with. And that's great, right? And you should have those relationships, but it may not be as focused on your career growth, for example, or getting through, you know, the two pieces of feedback you got in your last performance review. It may be more focused on a singular problem. And I myself have been in that position where I had, you know, some senior engineers when I first joined who were mentors to me unofficially. And they really supported me and I'd go to them for help. But then I also had a formal mentor who was purely focused on, okay, what was your last performance review? What are the things you want to work on? And where do you want to get to by the next one? Mm. Let's focus on that. Let's have a strict cadence. And I found that I needed both Hmm. because you need that focus on your like particular day-to-day skills, but you also need that big picture view from someone who can say, you know, this is right, this is wrong. Or ideally someone who's like not so tied into your day-to-day that they can give you, you know, a bit of a third-party perspective on how to approach situations. I like that. Makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Any Anything else that you want to talk about around sort of these these seven steps that you yeah. that you outlined? Um, I mean, I know we'll get into give feedback, so I won't get into that just yet. But the personal OKRs, I found have been a little, um, what's the word? Uh, Like some people are like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Some people feel like it's too much process or, you know, and I will say I'm someone who just thinks very, uh, you you said, you know, this seems very codified, like how I break things down. That's just because that's how I make sense of things. And if things don't seem like building blocks or, you know, if I can't visualize it in my head, I can't make sense of it myself. And because of that, that's why I also like to put some sort of process or some sort of organization around things as kind of nebulous as becoming an EM from an engineer. Um, So with that, I feel like goals and OKRs when done well are super, super useful. Um, And not necessarily that you need to share them with folks or, you know, make it an official thing you create with your manager, but even for yourself, having OKRs or goals that are maybe not even entirely based on your work. You know, it could be, I want to get some more management experience or get some more lead experience. And then I also want to run a half marathon. Like I, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, what else is going on in your life, but having these goals, I think a lot of people do them outside of work but maybe not so much inside work. They kind of assume their manager's the one leading that for them, but they're not. So mm. creating these goals for yourself, and it kind of goes back to advocating for yourself, creating these goals where you say, I know in three months or six months, like this is something attainable that I want to get to. That's amazing. And then maybe you work with your manager and mentor to break down, like, how do I even get there? Maybe you don't know, right? Like, how do I get that lead experience? That ideally helps you visualize or clarify for yourself what you're exactly going for. And then you don't have such a lofty goal of, I want to become an EM in a few years, you can break it down to, okay, well, first I know let's work backwards. I need tech lead experience from there. I need to be, you know, the lead on big projects with multiple teams. So you can kind of break it down that way. But I feel like those personal KRs for me, again, going back to codifying things, I need to write them down Um, to really get in my brain and to kind of think back to them all the time. So I feel like writing them down and referring back to them is super, super valuable. Yeah. I think it it comes back to your point on manifestation a little bit too, right? Mm -hmm. Where like you write this down every day, you're looking at these goals and, and then it sort of just becomes, it becomes what you do, right? And then you will get there because you are every day just sort of reinforcing those, those ideas. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, let's move on. Um, Another another tweet that I that I really enjoyed was uh, one around you wanting to 
write a book on the basics of engineering management. And your tweet said, so many good questions in my inbox that show me we're all just winging it because there's no formal training or trial intern mm-hmm. period for engineering managers. How is, how is that process going? Um, and I, I know that when we, when we had talked before, you had told me that you tweeted that because at that time you were, you were really motivated and you had a lot of energy around sort of writing, writing that book. Um, mm-hmm. how, yeah. How, how's it going? Yeah. Um, hasn't gone forward yet. I will say, I think when we spoke, I mentioned, you know, I'm trying to follow my energy a bit more and it's still, you know, there's keeps things keep popping up in my life that I'm like, okay, I don't have the capacity to even focus on other things, but I will say it still rings very true to me. It's not something, it's something I want to do soon, not, and not eventually, but soon. Um, because it's true. Like when I first started tweeting, even it was more like, this is obvious, but let me just put it out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was so surprised by so many people, one who were had, you know, multiple different opinions, which is great. Right. Um, but also we're like, oh, wow, this is so interesting. I never thought of this. And I'm like, what? Like, this feels like a basic knowledge thing. And kind of talk, going back to how I was saying that there's no intern period. There's no like training time to be an EM for engineers. You get to be an intern for years and, you know, you get that onboarding time. But as an EM, you're kind of like pushed in and expected to know what to do. And it's a completely different role. There is, I don't know of any company that lets you intern as a lead because it's a big responsibility. They're not going to let you manage people for like three months and then leave. So it makes sense, but it's so so crazy that we push people, especially engineers into this new role without any sort of guidance on like basics. And I remember my first time being an EM, I had a fabulous manager who's super hands-on, amazing manager himself. But sometimes I think he was surprised by like the things I didn't know, like weekly updates. He's like, yeah, you have to, you have to write this. It's super important. And you have to like get these metrics and you know, the things that he had to kind of like walk me through, it was because like, what, when was I going to be exposed to that, you know, as an engineer? And so I still feel very strongly about having this book out in the wild. And I'm not thinking like a super fancy, intense book, more like, you know, to the point, very codified, very like break it down step by step of like, when you're first in the this is what you need. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to do it. And I, it'll definitely be this year, if not within the next few months. So what almost seems like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what almost seems like, you know, at some point it's, you can, you can start collecting these tweets and sort of start, you know, it's almost like a collection of your, yeah. of your notes and thoughts as you've, as you've sort of moved through uh, yeah. your, your point on, on sort of just moving engineers directly into engineer in, into management without any trainer, I think is, is such an interesting point because it is absolutely not the same job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, I think we see, well, there are star software engineer. Let's, let's make them a manager. It's like, well, mm-hmm. what makes them a star software engineer may not actually make them a great manager. And maybe it's not even something that they want to do because it's a very different right. thing. So right. giving, be, having some sort of a trial period or having some sort of way to say, Hey, you're a great performer you also are great with people. Would you want to try out being an engineering manager and having some sort of way to test that out for them? Mm-hmm. I, I think that could be that could be incredible because then, as a company, you know, okay, well, they're invested in trying this out, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. They can go back to being the star star developer, and no harm, no foul. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm seeing that more. Um, I think tech lead is becoming kind of that position where you're kind of leading or representing your team, but you're still, you know, mainly an engineer. So that's a little interesting. You're like leading the team processes and maybe you're kind of stepping in for your manager in a lot of cases. One negative I've seen about that is it's usually in big companies where the manager's like 
more or less not really present Mm. for the team. And so it's really hard to like learn if you don't have that hands-on guidance. It's, it's like when you're an intern or join a new company, you have a buddy, right? An onboarding buddy, and you have someone literally pairing with you on every little thing. You kind of need that as a manager. And usually we find that managers are just left to their own devices to figure it out. And it's, it's not anyone's fault. It's more of a time issue. Right. Um, but yeah, tech leads, or I've recently started seeing like manager and training, especially if it's an internal hire, giving them some of that opportunity. So I'm, I like seeing that happen more and more, but I agree. It's kind of crazy that engineer translates, good engineer translates into good manager. When we, I think all of us know very different job, very different skill set. Um, yeah. And it's usually, it's, if it ends up being a good transition, it's luck, I feel like. Um, <laughs> or, you know, the person thinks, well, this is my only way to get like up the ladder, quote unquote. So, yeah. 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 I think that's another issue in the industry. Like we need to, there needs to be much more clear support for those that don't want to go into management. Right. I mean, I think a mm-hmm. lot of big companies have that, but when you sort of go to the smaller, smaller, mid-sized companies, that's not always, it's not always clear cut. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you often will lose, you know, really high level contributors because they don't see a clear path of where they can go. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think that's really interesting. So obviously you're active on Twitter, um, but you're also, you know, also active in the, in the community. You're, you're on a podcast called engineering advice. You didn't ask for, uh, we'll put Mm -hmm. some, that in the show notes. Our listeners can take a listen to that. You're also, uh, started an engineering management community on Twitter so a couple of questions here. How how did you get involved in the podcast? And then also why start a, a community on Twitter? Yeah, the podcast was kind of fun. Um, so in January, I joined this. Uh, I took the Small Bets course by Dan Vassallo on Twitter. That was my Christmas present from my husband, or I made it my Christmas present. <laughs> um, and because I've always been this person um, who needs to work on multiple things or I have multiple passions. Like you mentioned, like I love pop culture and, you know, I, I do a lot of different things beyond my job. And so I've always wanted to find a way to kind of fit that into my life. And I feel like give myself more fulfilling life that way. Um, and so I took this course, they have an amazing discord community that's super, super active, very supportive. A lot of, you know, if you have questions about things and, um, through that, I met, you know, the folks that I'm doing the podcast with. And I think we all were like kind of active on Twitter. And that's actually why I started tweeting more because I took this course and I've had Twitter for 10 years Uh and up until January, February, I had like 300 followers, like barely tweeted. Like it was, I was not taking it seriously. And I feel like once in a while I'd try something and never really commit. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Um, but this course really motivated me, like just try and, you know, pick your, pick a niche here, try things. And it's all about putting in it like minimal effort, test things out. It's more experimentational basically. Um, and so since we all were tweeting about tech things and we we're in this community, we're like joking around a little, like we should write a book, we should do a course, we should do a podcast. And I mean, one thing led to another and we're like, let's do this podcast. And, um, everyone I have to say is so like motivated, has come from so many different backgrounds and like paths towards engineering management or even just engineering. And so it's really, cool just seeing how we went from this like literal like idea on discord to we actually have show notes and we have episode ideas and we're like we put out you know a few episodes it's kind of wild so um I have to call out shout out my uh you know the people uh, my other co-hosts I guess you could call it on the podcast because they do a lot of the work and you know, the editing and all of that. And they're fabulous, but it's, it's fun. And we're treating this as a small bet. So we're saying we're going to do a season, see the response, see how people like it. And I think that's also made it really nice. Um, it's hard for people to maybe say like, okay, I'm going to do like 10 different things. Like, how am I going to balance it all? You kind of see what feeds you, what are you getting a good response from and do it? Um, which is how I'm kind of thinking about the book as well. You know, what can I bring it down to the, the bare bones of like what will be the most valuable, I guess. Um, And for the community, it was another thing that I just tweeted out kind of about like the book and said, I want this community because I had seen a product manager's community on Twitter. And I was like, 
that's super cool. I would love an EM one because again, we're having a lot of discourse about it, a lot of questions coming up. Um, and I think I just, it was really easy to like apply to get that access on Twitter. Cause I think it's still not an completely open feature. Mm. Um, and then when I got it, I just tweeted about it. And it's, I have to say, it's not, I'm not as active on it every day as I want to be, but every day I do see people joining and posting questions and they're really good questions. It's like, how do you manage low performers and what are some of your favorite books? And even if it's not, I, I don't think something needs to be like, the most important thing in everyone's life or the most important community, for example, for it to be valuable. So it's just nice having this space where, you know, there's a lot of engineering leaders or to be leaders kind of learning from each other and people are joining from all over the world, all different disciplines and backgrounds. So it's, it's really cool to see that. Almost, almost a place like you mentioned before to, if those that are transitioning to management, it's almost like a community to sort of help them figure it out a little bit yeah. too, right? A broader, broader community. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised the first day I would say like hundred people are all like, I'm not a manager yet, but I want to be. Mm. So that's pretty interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A place to, to figure out what it is that they need to do mm -hmm. to get there and, and to grow mm -hmm. and learn. Yeah. That is wonderful. So uh, you also write a, you have a culture newsletter yeah. Pop culture newsletter in which you started for your husband and your friends, which I think is awesome yeah. because I'm the exact kind of person who would want that too, because I have no, no concept of that. Um, yeah. and you're thinking of turning it into a short five minute podcast episode. Yeah. Tell yeah. me, tell me more about this. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. Well, I think we were kind of talking about it before I have like, there's, I feel like everyone has one medium that they're good at or enjoy. And I started with this newsletter writing it and I found that I just hate like long form writing. I've tried to do blogs in the past. Like it's just, I'm never going to be consistent, but talking is so easy to me. Just, I mean, as you can see, like get me started. I won't shut up. <laughs> so, and, and I literally like last night I'm asking my husband like, Oh, have you heard about this Johnny Depp trial? And he's like, should I just press record? Like, do you just want to explain it to me? Um, yes, yes. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but literally like I just naturally, like I'm not reading going through hacker news. I'm like looking at all of these pop culture fan accounts and like learning everything that's happening. And it's just a, such a natural interest to me and something I just love spending my time on. And then I find myself explaining it to all my friends. And then I'm like, have an opinion. I want to talk to you about it. And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> so it's, it's just like a fun, like not meant to be anything crazy, but I was surprised when I started tweeting more, of course, I'm getting a lot of like engineering folks, but I was like, okay, that's what the majority of people are going to be interested in. But I started getting a lot of signups to this newsletter. I'm like, <laughs> I guess these are the same people who like want to be kept up to date on pop culture. So I should, yeah. <laughs> you know, get back to it. But I think I'm going to work on my first episode this week. So I'm excited. Ooh, there's nice. a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. So <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm excited to, to sign up and listen to that. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So uh, another thing that you do, and I'm going to have to ask you, we're going to have to talk about how you have time for all this because it's, it's <laughs> but, um, so you, you don't like spending money on things that don't end up being worth it. Yeah. And so you started the honest tester, which is now an Instagram account it used to be a long form blog, uh, mm -hmm. where you review products. How did you, mm -hmm. how did this start and become what it is now? Yeah, I think it actually probably started. So I used to have a startup where I did a direct to consumer food. And when you're in that world, you just see all the brands that are out there, right? And you see all the products that are out there. And you also feel like, I want people to try my product. I know it doesn't have, you know, the credibility yet or whatever, but you want people to try it and see that it's worth it. So there's this awesome um, company called Thing Testing. And I think when I started my company, Thing Testing was just an Instagram account. It was an XVC reviewing these products and would just post these reviews. But she was looking at it more from an investment standpoint. You know, how much did they raise? What are they selling? And they stopped doing reviews pretty quickly after that. They're still, they're doing great. And, you know, they discover like every brand you could think of, they discover before you've even, they've even launched sometimes. Um, but I was missing those reviews because like you said, I hate spending money and then being like, oh, that wasn't worth it. Like even going to a restaurant, I'm like, it, it just annoys me, you know? Um, so 
and me and my friends were always saying like, oh, have you tried that yet? Or like, have you seen this new brain? Have you tried it yet? And you know, you're always asking your friends because you're expecting like an honest review. So that's just kind of where it started. I, I started it as let me post for my friends. And like, I was in a phase of trying all the new bedding products because there's like 500 and they all say they're the best. So like, let me try like every single pillow, every single sheet, and then post honestly, if I think it's worth it or not. And then I'm always just like trying new things. My other, like, I guess con in my personalities, I just love spending money in general. So (laughs) I just love buying things. So I'll buy a lot of things. And then I'm like, oh, that wasn't worth it. And I like, you know, you tell people one off, but this way I was like, okay, at least I can share it. And I'm, I'm not super active on it. So when you say, how do I have time for everything? Like, I think I do kind of, I'm intentionally trying to create things where I'm not forcing myself into strict schedules. I know that works for some people, but for me, it just gives me more stress and anxiety, I think. And it's similar with Twitter. Like I can't be like, I need to post every day and reply to the X tweets and whatever. Like I just need to be on it when it makes sense to me and tweet when I am inspired by something or whatever. But similar for Honest Tester, I'm not like researching like products and brands. I naturally see things. I think because I'm interested in pop culture, because of my TTC X life and I love to try them and then I'll share them. And it's really cool because I'll see people, not just friends now, be like, oh, that's like so cool. And I tried it and I love it, you know, and um, getting some responses there. I started, I've been able to get some like discount codes from some brands, which has been really cool, you know, for people to try. So it's just fun on this side. And, you know, I do want to keep doing it because it's naturally part of my life and see where it goes. Yeah. I love how you like kind of tend to take these things that are, as you say, a part of your life, pop culture, testing things, and you sort of package it up and then make it available to a wider audience as opposed to just, you know, telling your friend here, telling your husband here, and you're like, hey, check this out, you know, and yeah. because you, you think that it's beneficial for others. And I I think it's awesome. Um, and, and, you know, one thing yeah. that I'd like to mention too is that everything that you do, and we kind of talked about this in and before we started recording the episode is it seems like all of these things that you do, you're, you're synthesizing everything that you're learning and you're mm-hmm. sharing them out. And to me, that one, that's what makes a really good engineering manager. That's one of the things that mm. makes an engineering manager. So I'm sure that your, your team is, is absolutely super thankful and glad that you're there. You're their manager. I hope so. That's so kind. And I think, yeah, you're the first person to kind of draw a correlation between everything, which I'm super thankful for. <laughs> it's all, it's all, it's all part it's all of connected. it, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one last thing that I want to talk about before we move into the feedback, uh, feedback mm-hmm. and updates, weekly updates pieces, um, you also offer one-on-one consultations uh, mm-hmm. for engineering management advice, which are currently sold out, which is amazing. Um, what could someone expect in your consultation? Yeah. Um, I really want people to come with specific issues. Um, so I can't, I, I've had consultations where I have a low performing employee or I'm struggling, you know, communicating with my manager or I want to become an EM and, you know, I'm not given the opportunity. And I think what people can expect is we're going to go deep into your problem. We're going to talk through a bunch of different options. You're going to get a lot of resources from me, like articles or books, or if you're looking for a job, I will send you job listings. You know, I like, I want to be, especially in these consultations, I want you to come away. where like, okay, I got some actionable feedback and I got mm-hmm. an actionable next step to help solve this problem. Um, And it's been really fun because I found that, of course, especially when it's someone like not your manager or that you don't really know, you can maybe be a bit more candid about the situation. So I think we're Mm -hmm. able to get to the root of things a a little better. A little bit more of that formal mentorship, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had a few folks ask, you know, can we like sync again in a few months. I'm like, yeah, definitely. Because that is, that's the point of mentorship, right? You over time kind of see progress and keep changing your approach. So are you going to, are these going to be opening up again? Are you going to have spots, spots available in the near future? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I just, I need to put in my May, my May dates. 
Ah, yes. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's move on to feedback. Uh, and and what we mean, what we mean by feedback is giving feedback. And I think in one of your tweets, you said up, down, and sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to directly speak to the six tips that you gave that you gave on Twitter about feedback. Um, and which actually also led to you creating a, an entire feedback guide on Gumroad, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. I think is also also incredible. Um, again, synthesizing and then sort of pushing it out to the to, to the world mm-hmm. as a whole, which I think is is honestly like that. You know, people can talk about doing things for days, and they can just, you know, oh yeah, this is great, this is great. They can have great ideas, but until you actually solidify an idea and you put it out there in sort of mm-hmm. a way that can be consumable, I think. That's that's the that's the true test, and you do that all the yeah. time. So I think that's incredible. Um, so let's dive into these these six six pieces, and I just kind of want to read them because when I read them, it was it, it just it just struck a chord because I think again it's just very simple and it's very to the point. So mm-hmm. number one, avoid compliment sandwiches. Two, be kind and direct. Three, mm-hmm. discuss the impact. Four write notes first. (laughs) That's huge. Um, Five, ask how they perceive your feedback. And six, always end with action items. Mm -hmm. Let's dig in. Yeah. Um, Well, so this came about because I was in a situation where I had to give some tough feedback. And I was asking everyone. I so my husband is also, you know, an engineering leader. So I usually go to him first and he has a bunch of notes and articles and resources. I go to, you know, my colleagues, like other EMs and said, if you were in this situation, what would you do? I go to ex-colleagues and, you know, try and get their thoughts. And I really like gathering a bunch of data and then filtering it down to, okay, what makes most sense for me? Um, For example, like a lot of books and articles, which I think is another driving force for me writing a book is written from by men, which isn't a bad thing, but the approach is not always something that I'm comfortable with or I would do. Um, And so I try and get a lot of different points and say like, okay, well, how would it be perceived if I'm the one saying it instead of this person or, you know, it does this align with how I've been managing so far. And so I'll get a bunch of feedback and data on how to give feedback for particular situations and then synthesize it for myself. And I feel like from this particular exercise, I got a lot of good insight into how to do it well for any situation. So that's what kind of prompted it. Um, I And one of the things, you know, you get a lot of varying um, suggestions for like the compliment sandwich. Some Mm. people will say, you know, it's the best thing to do. You want to make sure people are happy or like, you know, like not feeling like they're attacked, but I found, and like, as someone who's received a compliment sandwich, it's confusing. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait, so I'm doing a good job and you like me, but I also am not doing a good job. Like what's, what's the truth here? So I feel like being direct, and I think that ties into another thing, being kind and direct is Mm -hmm. the best way. Like you can be nice and you can give compliments, but it should not be instead of or before your feedback, right? Like the primary goal here is they hear this feedback loud and clear and they hear why it's important and what you want them to do differently. And then part of that, what you want them to do differently, maybe you bring in a compliment here, like you did this part great, you know, love how you manage this situation. Maybe the follow-up is what is what we should focus on, you know? So, yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, are you familiar with the SBI method, which is situation, mm-hmm. behavior, and impact? It's, it's a very, mm-hmm. it's another way, at least the way that I see it, it's another way to kind of explain that, right? Because yeah. you're talking about the situation, yeah. you're being direct, right? Because you're just going through the steps and you're being very clear about it. This is a situation, this is the behavior that we saw, and here's the impact, right? And yeah. you can also be kind um, during that process. And I think, yeah. you know, to your point around the compliment sandwich, like, <laughs> yeah varying opinions that I've heard, but it, it really does seem like you're sort of bouncing around the issue a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it can be, mm-hmm. people can be left confused, like you said, like, yeah. well, I did good, but then I also, so what, what is it, you know? And so making yeah. it so that you're actually direct, like you said in number two, it seems like it would really help that. 
Yeah. And I think uh, what helped me a lot in like synthesizing this down is how would I like to receive this feedback? Um, and like if roles were reversed, like what, what do I want to feel? I want to feel, I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel like I'm being given an opportunity almost, right? I want to feel like I know that I did something wrong and why it was wrong. And I want to feel like I know how to do it right the next time. So like in every part of, you know, the, the things that you say and with feedback, especially like every word is so important, right. And every sentence and how you structure it is so important, but making sure that I think that's why I said like write notes because it's not something you can just wing and say like, okay, we need to tell them they did this poorly. You need to be very specific. And I love the SBI framework for that. You, you know, outlining the specific situation, how they reacted or how you saw them reacting and what that impact was. But yeah, I think just being really, really considerate about every single word and like the, how you're framing things to make sure that it's not accusatory. It's not um, like this was so wrong, but more like, here's something that I saw that caused this. Like, what do you think about that? And you know, how, how can we maybe think about doing it differently so that we actually get to this result? Yeah. And I think if you, as a manager, if, you know, you're, you're building these relationships with your direct reports and mm-hmm. you should have sort of this, you know, you should have a trusting relationship and they should know that you have their back. So really this feedback mm-hmm. is about getting the best out of them and making sure that they are, you know, growing. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. like, you're just sort of helping them to be better. Right. And I think if, mm-hmm. if everybody's on that same page, then it's a lot easier to be a little bit more direct because people aren't going to take anything, you know, personally. I mean, you, if they do, you can have a much more honest conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You just, you don't want someone to be defensive and, you know, kind of come at it as like an arguing situation. But I think what you said is right. It, you're building this relationship and you have to have some level of trust. So it's hard um Like I've had situations where I'm a new manager and I'm told like this person's low performing, you have to manage it. That's really hard because it's like, one, I don't know you. I don't know your work, so I can't make that judgment. And two, like without even having that trust or that relationship just to say like you did X, Y, Z wrong can be really hard. So like you have to look at everything in the situation, not just the exact thing that you're giving feedback on, but like what type of relationship do you have? What is maybe, you know, their past performance reviews or like how do they react to things and what's their communication style um, to really tailor it to each person. So do you do you find that you give feedback sort of in this fashion in every one-on-one? Or does no. it just kind of depend? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's good, right? Like it shouldn't feel like, oh my God, every time there's yeah. something I need to work on. And ideally, I mean, you've hired and you're training people well that it's like, they're not, you know, needing feedback every single week. Um, but I, I think there's a way to train someone without making it like feedback based. Mm. So every week I'll probably will say like, you know, why don't you take on, you know, a little bit more? Why don't you reach out to this person and lead this? That's not feedback, but that is still trying to grow them. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most interesting thing that you say you've learned from your team as a, as a result of giving feedback in this way? I think, um, I think hearing both sides first, uh, because I think managers, we can go into feedback and assume like, okay, I need to deliver this and we need to like move out of this. Um, but there's a person there that was in a situation and most likely felt that something was off, you know? And so just kind of respecting that. And first, I think that's why it's so important to pause and say, ask, how did you perceive this situation? How do you perceive my feedback? And make it a dialogue is really, really valuable because then I think they end up kind of coming out of it with, yeah, I want to change X, Y, Z, as opposed to my manager told me to change X, Y, Z. So having that, you know, discourse. And again, it goes back to, you know, building a trusting relationship and your direct reports are your partners. They're not like, 
you know, I know technically they report to you, but I never think of it that way, right? It's like my success comes from you being successful. So that's how we need to approach the relationship. Yeah, it's a it's a shared investment, really, mm-hmm. in their growth and success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, weekly updates. I found this really fascinating, and again, it's it's one of those things where you think, "Huh, that's simple, right?" But it's like, "Well, right. why why <laughs> haven't I been doing that?" You know, it's kind of like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So tell me about this. Who you know? Who needs to do them? What are we writing in them? You know, and what's yeah. what's the importance of those? Yeah. So for managers, um, some companies will require them, some won't. But usually, it's for your like leadership counterparts, and then your direct leadership, and probably your skip. And the goal is every week you give some insight into how your team is doing. So both project and like OKR wise, but also team morale um, and people wise. You know, give quick update into what's going on and maybe it helps bring some visibility into something that's coming up. Like we know there's going to be some attrition or, you know, uh, we're not seeing as much progress as we expected in this one project. So like we might have a delay. So really I think what people use it for primarily is like a status report, which is great, you know, so no one feels blindsided that like something's gone wrong or like they, you know, something slowed down or whatever it is. Um, I also find them super, super helpful for performance review time Mm. for my direct reports, but also for myself, you know, and to say like, look, my team delivered X, Y, Z, or like we, you know, worked on these processes or whatever it is. So you can always look back and say like, I can show you that there was progress made or there were things that we did contributing to the org or the team or whatever it is. Yeah, one thing that I found that I could see that this would be extremely helpful in is, is sometimes uh, in, in my company we have uh, and we're working on sort of improving our feedback loop sort of mm-hmm. externally, mm-hmm. right, of, of, you know, this is the project that we're working on and then week over week, what are our updates, right, and how do we communicate that out and how do we make sure that all the stakeholders are aware of exactly where we are? Uh, mm-hmm. And it seems like that these weekly updates would be really exactly what what we would need because it's coming from the tech side right like we have like a product roll-up kind of thing where we talk about where things are but this is very much closer to the ground floor of hey this is going to slip by a week hey we're going to be early here um yeah so i could see this being an exact tool that we could use to sort of help close that feedback loop a little bit yeah yeah and i think if if you have a product and tech driven teams um which are amazing then those updates I feel should be given together because you're Mm. leading the same team. You're leading towards the same goals. You should have different updates, you know? Um, So I always think that's valuable and maybe, you know, personnel updates only go to tech leadership or however, you know, however the company or team wants to slice it. But I think it's something that leads should work on together. Um, Because then, you know, engineering, you need to be aware of, product updates and how it impacts product timelines product needs to be aware of what's going on in the team and you know what are some of these like maybe there's a unexpected migration right that we have to do that's slowing things down like just giving more visibility even internally between the two disciplines can be really really helpful i found if you have multiple multiple teams and multiple managers do you find that combining those reports so you have the three managers that are sort of putting out one update or is it three updates, like one update per team, essentially. One update per team, for sure. Um, And I've been in situations where, you know, every Monday morning we read all those updates together or it's just async also. Either works, but I regardless always read the updates from the other teams, even for my own, even though I'm not like directly working with them, it's so good to see, okay, are they going through some personal issues too? Or like, what's going like they launched this new thing maybe that's you know something my team would use or want to know about so it's just such an easy way for everyone to get a quick like five minute bird's eye view into what's going on yeah yeah absolutely well and if and if you want to get a bird's eye view you can get the weekly update template from gum road and you can implement this yourself yes okay so you mentioned when uh we're talking about the honest tester uh that you 
are also a startup founder. Uh, you mm -hmm. founded the Buttermilk Company. You went through Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator. You raised 500K, grew 20 plus products, shipping to all 50 states with 10K monthly recurring revenue in yeah. just two years. Um, yeah. I'm, I, 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 I'm pausing because I think I'm just, I'm just so impressed with everything that you're doing. And I just, I just, yeah. I think it's awesome. I think it's really exciting. And obviously that's, um, that's why I'm glad that we're chatting. <laughs> um, can you tell, tell us about this company, what it was, you know, your inspiration, a little bit about your journey uh, yeah. and, and kind of why you ultimately decided to, to shut it down? Yeah, for sure. Um, I had been at Amazon for about four and a half years and I was managing a team then. And I think that was the time of, you know, it's always a time of startups in the news and doing great things, but that was like, Uber and, uh, oh my God, I think Uber was like the primary one in my mind, I guess, but, you know, all these startups just like doing great things. And I was seeing more and more of my peers starting their own companies and I'm like, I want to do a startup. Um, and I have this book of ideas that I still have. And I was going through like three or four of them. And again, if they all have gone back to something not super technical, I was never going to build like a SaaS platform because one, I didn't have that experience. So I didn't see that problem. But also I've, I'm someone who has a lot of interest outside of, you know, directly tech. And I decided to settle on this food idea because as a first or second gen, first generation Indian American, I, um, don't really know how to cook my favorite foods, but my mom obviously makes them really well. And it's really hard to get exact recipes or, you know, get that food from her whenever I want. So I wanted an easy way to make that at home. Hmm. Um, and while I was still at Amazon, I think for about six months, I was kind of developing this idea more as like, let me just try this and see what it takes to create a product, not let me start a company. Um, yeah, just, you know, figured out the product, the design, setting up a website, the legal, whatever, you know, the marketing, the branding, um, all of that stuff. Um, it was really fun. And then in about February, I think of the next year, I decided, you know, I had launched it in Seattle. I got my friends and family to like deliver the the orders for me. I wasn't <laughs> shipping them. And, you know, you're testing. I, it was a perishable product, which if anyone works with perishable, you know how just so how difficult that is. Um, and so I was testing things. I was using this like caterer's kitchen after work to go and make the products. And um, then I decided, you know, I am so privileged in that I don't have basically any risk factors. You know, I had enough savings. I had backup support of my parents or, you know, my then boyfriend, if I needed to, um, I have a good career to fall back on, like, why not? Um, and I recognize it's such a huge privilege to have. So I was like, I should take advantage of this. And I quit, decided to start it full time. And one of my friends sent me the YC, like women's founders conference or something. And they're doing it in Seattle at that time, which is where I lived. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go. And during that conference, they're like, you should just apply to Y Combinator. Like, why not? What are you going to lose? Worst case, you go through the application and kind of narrow down what your business is. So I was like, sure. Applied and I ended up getting in. And so uh, you have to decide on the spot. You go, you fly there, do the interview. And that afternoon, they call you if you got in and say like, oh, are you in or not? So like, I guess I'm in. Um wow. So we moved to SF for three months. Uh, I was also planning my wedding at the same time. So it is insanity, <laughs> like a big Indian wedding. Um, but it was crazy because I had built um, my kitchen and decided to do production fulfillment in-house um, because it was the fastest way, right? Co-packers and finding, figuring all that out takes at least six months, especially if it's not a standard formulation or product. So I said, let's just do it in-house. Let's you know, scale that. So that was still in Seattle. We're managing and, you know, scaling a ton, of course, from YC, you get a lot of press, but also I was scaling marketing and I had replatformed to Shopify because they were just a better platform. I was on Squarespace first. Um, and Squarespace is great, but it's not just for sh shops, whereas Shopify is just built for e-commerce stores. So yeah. I always thought it was interesting that I was in YC, which is a tech accelerator. And I felt that we weren't tech you know, um, the biggest tech we had was our store, but I guess, um, 
you know, it was following the tech growth patterns. And um, we did end up, me and my husband, building an internal inventory tracking app because we were using Google Sheets and that's still a big white space. So um, there is one company I found recently called Inventora trying to fill that space and I I'm obsessed with it, but it's still a super interesting problem to me. But yeah, it built up um, just launching new products, creating new, I think we rebranded a bit, uh, started shipping and figuring all of that out. And, you know, I still have all my Google sheets of like calculating the cogs and the margin and like, you know, trying to figure all that out. So I was, I don't even know what I was doing. I was doing everything and just running on no sleep and just like, like, how do you do this? Like, how do you scale a a food brand, a direct to consumer brand? Like I know nothing. Um, I was a solo founder. So I'm trying to, you know, find people to fill the operation side, which previously was taking most of my time. And so I could focus on other things. And uh, after YC, so I'd raised a seed round of primarily angel investors. And I have to give credit to YC. It does shorten that window considerably, which was amazing. Excuse me, amazing. And uh, in about March of 2019, so about two months after I got married, found out we had to move to New York for my husband's job. And so with that, I was already just so burnt out and stressed and kind of realizing, coming to that realization we need to go grocery and retail to really scale, which requires co-packers and uh, food. If anyone has even dabbed their toe in that pond, knows it's super low margin, super hard to make it work. I was also facing an issue of education um, because we were working with intentionally authentic crowdsourced recipes, meaning it's not tikka masala or like things that you find at traditional Indian restaurants for a reason, because that's not, you know, the home food that you get. And so you have to educate folks on the quality, on what it is. And with that, you know, you're facing pricing issues. So I think, I think there's more of an appetite for that now. Maybe when I did buttermilk, it was much harder, but now you have brands like Omsom. Um, I think they're doing that for Vietnamese cuisine and they're doing a fabulous job. So you're just, I, I was just facing so many, challenges as every founder does at every stage of the company. But I think as a solo founder going through so much life change and kind of realizing I'd realized very quickly, like I'm not a cook. I don't care about cooking. Um, And it's just not an industry I'm passionate about. Like I don't want to be going to this grocery retail co-packer lane where you're it's, it's just a very different business. And I found myself really missing (laughs) tech. And so I decided after a lot of deliberation, you know, shut it down, give back whatever investor money I had. Um, And I was honestly almost pivoting to this inventory management tool. We had about, I think, 10 uh, other small food and beverage businesses using it. And, you know, the market and the need is clearly there. And I was going back and forth, but I was still so exhausted from my startup, I was like, I just need a break. And then COVID hit. So, <laughs> so that's where we're at. It's kind of a natural separation at that point then, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Um, well, uh, we're kind of running, running out of time here. So I want to, uh, want to wrap up with, uh, with our last section. So this section is called building bits and bites. It is a lightning round that I ask all of my guests four questions. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Why do you build software? To create the things I want to use. Means to an end. Who is your cheerleader or your support system? My husband, 100%. Best advice you've ever received? This one was hard. Um, it used to be, if this is the worst thing in your life, then life is great. I think mm-hmm. now it's, I didn't receive it directly, but I think often, I think it was a Steve Jobs quote, which is so cliche, but everything we see or we use, a person no smarter than you has created. So anytime there's a question of, you know, how do I go past this? Or, you know, I'm like, wait, yeah. A human made this, so, you know. Hmm. Any tech or any tools you're using to help solve everyday problems? 
Um, I'm obsessed with spreadsheets and notes in my daily life. So I would say Notion and Google Sheets are like my best friends. Um, and I mean, I use a lot of different apps and websites, but I'd say primarily like I couldn't live without Notion. Awesome. So as we wrap up here, where, where's the best place for people to find you on the web? Uh, definitely on Twitter. Um, I'm, I've become super active there. I also have a link there to all the other, you know, little endeavors I do, like my pop culture newsletter, Honest Tester on Instagram, and all my templates um, and, you know, different products that I've created to help with engineering management. I've also created a few guides for starting direct-to-consumer companies and creating and scaling them. So those are all available there. So yeah, I think Twitter. Um, my tag, like you said, is Ramen, R-A-M-A-N, which is my last name, Noodles with a Z. I made this in college like 12 years ago, so <laughs> don't come at me. <laughs> well, Mithra, it's been, uh, it's been really wonderful chatting with you today, and thank you for sharing your thoughts around feedback and weekly updates and really giving us an insight into your journey and who you are. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Let's remember a few things to take away from this great conversation. Grow your career by advocating for yourself and setting personal OKRs. When giving feedback, make it actionable, direct, and kind. And write weekly updates. They are the best way to update leadership, report project changes, and get everyone on the same page. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. If you're building something that is interesting and aims to solve a human problem and would like to be a guest on the show, please send me an email at jointhepodcast at unfilteredbuild.com. Until next time, go build with people. <laughs>